This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, and there is a great time happening right now for you to save really big with Black Friday prices at the first of the month during the pre-Black Friday sale, November the 3rd through the 8th, up to 65% off site-wide, tiered kind of discount system different things are different percentages but up to 65 percent on certain items and uh just big savings and black friday cyber monday is always you know for online shopping a huge kind of uh time everybody knows that you can save but i personally feel like i've always thought when it comes to black friday cyber monday and even holiday shopping to a certain extent, sometimes when it comes to hunting, we're right in the middle of the season, and, like, I need my hunting gear now. I don't need it then. Not that you don't potentially need something, but if I wanted to gear up, I need to get it geared up now so I have it for the most of the season. And uh, so, anyway, pre-Black Friday sale, November the 3rd through the 8th, up to 65% off at ScreeGear.com. And Colin had a great idea for me to do to uh, kind of give you a little bit more I guess, I don't know, just kind of idea about some of the products. And he said, you know, maybe we ought to throw a scenario out there and talk about what what gear you would use in this scenario as far as 
layering because Scree, like other performance brands, it's really a layering system. All the, the pieces kind of work together. Not that you can't use them individually, but uh, as a system, um, you can mix and match all these different layers and pieces for a wide variety. So Colin and I are in Kansas. It doesn't feel like we're in Kansas. Nope. But we're in Kansas. We've been here a couple of days. We'll be here a couple of weeks. Levi's in Louisiana. What's up, Levi? What are y'all doing? Waiting on you to speak. What are we doing? What are we talking about? Uh, what are, <laughs> waiting on you to speak. So I'm fixing a So Colin had this idea. <clears throat> Levi wears scree gear. Me and Colin obviously wear scree gear. And uh, so we had this idea of, like, throwing out a scenario and just kind of running down what how you would dress for that. And, and it actually is a perfect time because – in, in the situation that we're dealing with, it just sucks. We drove to Kansas on November the 1st to hunt, you know, the Midwest rut, sweet November. It's been 78 degrees, and the wind has been blowing 20 miles an hour out of the south. More like sweat November. Since Tuesday. It is bad. So, uh, but it's uh, some rain coming in tonight. It's going to supposed to rain a lot tomorrow. It's going to change drastically, and uh, at least for a couple of days. But uh, so we're going to have Saturday morning. So here's the scenario. Kind of keep teasing it. Here's the scenario. So we've been wearing just a, the basic hard scrabble pants and just a lightweight long sleeve t shirt. And the uh, I wore the Wasatch long sleeve shirt and a vest this morning, but I mean, just a light. The light, uh, grid light, new grid light jacket, um, vest, just lightweight stuff. It's just the the breeze, the wind, because it's so windy, it's not that hot. Because if you're in the shade, well, today it was pretty much overcast, but it's so much wind that it doesn't really get hot, but it's warmer than you'd want it to be. But Saturday morning, it's going to be 37 degrees with a 5-mile-an-hour wind picking up more 10 to 15 mid-morning and warming up into the 50s so levi in your experience the gear that you use what would you wear in that situation um well i'm sure i speak for a lot of people but typically like if i'm going into the stand i am stripped down to my base layer and if it's that cold outside yeah you'll pretty much freeze walking in or get real cold but when I get to the stand, I'll kind of suit up a little bit, but I'll typically wear like a a thicker merino base layer with a little bit heavier pant, maybe the hard scrabble. I, I, it depends on how hard the wind's blowing, but I could get away with a merino, a thicker merino bottom in the hard scrabble pants if the wind's not blowing too bad. Um, and then. I'll wear the 300 Merino hoodie, which is one of my favorite things to wear. Um, and probably, um, I'll probably wear a vest. And then I'll either take my ptarmigan, keep it in my bag, because after about two hours, I'll probably get a little chilly. Uh or possibly the hard scrabble jacket. I mean, it it all depends on the wind. I mean, it could be twenty degrees outside, and if the wind's not blowing very hard, it's 
I don't I don't get very cold like that. But if it's yeah. fifty five degrees and the wind's blowing thirty miles an hour, then it's hard to stay warm. So. Uh, it ha- some of it probably has to do with where you're sitting too. I mean, if you're on the edge of a field up here in the Midwest, ten miles an hour of wind is a lot worse than yep. ten mile an hour wind if you're down in a bottom where you're just not getting it's it's not <clears throat> i think something to, to when it comes to, to clothes and how you dress for for a hunt it's it's really kind of a uh a thing where the wind it's how like the consistency of it and how it beats on you is really more so than the forecasted uh miles per hour in my opinion because 10 to 15, if I'm down on bottom and just every now and then I get, you know, you get a gust and it kind of gets to you, but you, you, you're, you, uh, it's not just steady beating on you. Uh, it's not the same as the same forecasted wind, but you're on the edge of a field and it just never stops. It's just constantly penetrating your clothes, no matter how good they are. Um, that's my opinion. Colin's kind of a polar bear. So, um, <laughs> I, I, would you dress the same, similar? Like, what, what would you? Um, I'll probably. I'll wear the three hundred bottoms, merino bottoms, hard scrabble pants. <clears throat> walk when we walk in in the morning. I'll just open the vents. I'll probably wear three hundred merino wool hoodie with the new grid light fleeced, and then bring the ptarmigan in the in the bag and. After we set up and starts cooling off, I'll switch. I'll throw the ptarmigan on. So I have to admit, Levi, I, I've never done what you're talking about. Not to the extent that you just said it. Like I've walked in, uh, like, I've walked in lighter, but I don't walk in in my mm-hmm. I, I I just I have. I do. I don't like. That's I, just too much to pack. It's too much to do when I get to it, the tree. It is, but I. And it depends on, like, where I'm hunting, too, you know. If I've got, like, a, you know, 500 to 800-yard walk or something, like if I'm walking to the back of a property down a slough or something like that, if i got a long walk, then I absolutely will because, and I can probably speak for just about everybody, if you sweat walking in, it is a matter of time before you're going to get cold. I don't care. You're done. If it's 50 degrees outside, you're going to get cold eventually if you sweat a lot. So the whole key to staying warm to me is not sweating. Well, but, I'm I so here's I'm glad you said that because the way I would break this thing down is first first of all, I'm fortunate in that I'm not a person that sweats a whole lot. Like I I mean I I would say I'm just average in that regard. I I can I can pace myself and and all that, and sweat does not – I mean, I'm not someone who just has to manage that where I, I, I get hot really easy and sweat really easy. But, you know, in that situation, we're talking about in the 30s, mid to upper 30s, enough breeze to, to feel it but not windy. And I'm if I'm layering up, I always, every single time – I'm wearing the 150 lightweight merino next to my skin. No matter what. Because 
it doesn't do a ton in terms of insulation, but you're talking about sweat, and that wicks it off of your skin. Better than a, any midweight. Now, a midweight merino still wicks better, but that my my one fifties I wear them pretty not like as tight as like an Under Armour type of performance athletic clothes. Not that kind of t- not like compression tight, but I wear it tight to my skin. And it, I mean, I it wicks the moisture completely off my skin, whatever little bit's there. Um, that's the whole point in it. So I always wear that. In this situation we're talking about, if we're walking a long ways, then I'm going to wear the 150 Merino, the midweight Merino, and hard scrabble pants. If I don't have to walk very far, I might wear the Kodiak, which is the fleece-lined heavier pants. And then I'm going to wear the, the the 150 and the 300 hoodie top and a vest to walk in with. And I'm going to have my ptarmigan jacket in my bag because I'll end up putting that on once I, you know, get settled in and cool off. In that situation. Now, right. I, I mean, there, there there's some situations where I might, would like you said, Levi, I might would wear the hard travel, maybe. But the ptarmigan is just too easy, man. It's a cheat code. It's literally a cheat code. I'm like, I I know it's like really crazy. I don't know if this is going to sound nuts. I'm going way off the deep end here. But you ever feel guilty over inanimate objects? <laughs> <laughs> do you don't even know what? Do you understand I'm, what I'm saying? I am I am enthralled where this is going. But go ahead. <laughs> okay, so like I have all of this stuff. It's an inanimate object, right? It's a jacket, mm. but. Sometimes I just feel guilty because I never wear it. I'm like, I need to wear that jacket sometimes. Or, <laughs> like, different things where you have a variety of something, and it's like you never use something, so you're like, feel, you like, feel like, I, I need to use that some. You know, like, it, it so, needs some love, too, kind of thing. So you like, you like that jacket so much. Like, that I hey, never you know wear it. I hardly 65, ever. I did. 65 degrees outside. Let me put the tarmac on and sweat my no, that's not no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm what, the complete opposite. I always wear the tournament. But no, I'm what I'm I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there is such a wide range when I do need a jacket that I almost never wear my hard scrabble jacket and I really like it. Ah. Like I really like it and there's sometimes it's like but it's like it's I mean, it's not a bulky jacket, but compared to the ptarmigan in your pack, it's bulky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if you roll it up and yeah. stick in your pack, it's not a big jacket. You can do it, but, I mean, the ptarmigan rolls up the size of a of a football, and it's just mm-hmm. really lightweight. So, anyway, that you know, I wear it from time to time, but the ptarmigan is just too easy. Anyway. Uh, I, let me uh, let me put a bug in your ear. Since you and Colin are kind of like in with the scree people or whatever. They need to make a system. I would say, I know they came out with the Guardian system, and I actually bought that. And I do like it. There's a few things I would change to it. But what they need to make, the perfect one has still not been made. Uh, I used to, I had the Fanatic suit that Sitka made for several years, and it, it it's very warm. It's also very loud. They need to make a suit that is probably has like a, a windproof laminate layer with a light insulation layer on the inside up against your skin with a fleece 
with a fleece outer on it, so it's mm-hmm. quiet. Now, when you say suit, are you talking about that. a jumpsuit or a bib, like a full no, body suit or bibs? Just, just a whole. System. No, even like maybe bib, but I wouldn't be opposed it to being pants and a jacket. But definitely a jacket. Obviously, I could go either way with pants or bibs. I do. I find myself liking pants better than bibs because obviously when you bibs go all the way up to your chest and I tend to get kind of hot in bibs just because you got double the amount of insulation right there on your core. Now, if it's really cold outside, that can keep you warm, but uh, I'm kind of a more of a pants guy than bibs. Yeah. Well, Under Armour made a bib that was kind of like a hybrid bib pant. Like, it didn't have all that core air insulation, but it did come up higher-waisted, and it had the, mm-hmm. uh, it had, like, the, uh, what am I trying to say? The suspender strap, shoulder straps, and that mm-hmm. thing was, and it was a fleece, kind of like what you're talking about, and it zipped all the way up, you know, to about the bottom of your rib cage, and then it was, like, mm-hmm. a, just a, a thin, kind of tight material around your, your core, and mm-hmm. so it really, it, it did everything around the waistline that that you want a bib to do without insulating you all the way up to your bottom of your chest. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So yeah, KU has a pant like that that you can that you can remove. You can actually take off the the top portion, the bib portion. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you can take it off with a zipper and wear them just as pants which is kind of neat, I guess, but I, I, I kind of kind of getting a little too fancy there. I mean, I don't, and obviously that pushes the cost of the, the product up too. So I, I don't really see, I'm not a huge fan of that. I'd rather have just pants or bibs. Yeah, well. But keep it, keep it simple. I'll say in, in moving on to something else that Scree is, is a growing company. <clears throat> and are actively producing more and more products in a lot mm-hmm. of different directions, both in yep. um, whitetail and women's and yep. uh, other things. So y- you'll be seeing a lot of stuff, but it's just, just kind of interesting. I, everybody, you hear such a, a, a wide variety of of uh, opinions of how people do it when it comes to layering and and uh, diverse weather and all that kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll just say, as far as the scree stuff goes, the ptarmigan jacket is, is just kind of a must-have. Anything 50 and below, uh, it's just such a cheat code is what Colin calls it. But I also yeah. would say, I'll... the other thing I would say is, having merino base layers is, uh, it really is um, a game-changer for layering. And then, a ve- to me, a vest is just a must-have. Like, a vest... Especially for bow hunters, I just uh, yep. the mobi- the the you, you you know you might not think of a vest. I guess I guess if you if you wear them, you know this. But you know the core insulation and the mobility that you still have, and the ability to you know uh, kind of hold all the, that stuff in. The bulk around your yeah. arms is a minimum. Mm-hmm. Well, keeping keeping your core your chest, you know, the center of your body, keeping your core warm is, is 
kind of the key to staying warm other than yeah. wearing like a windproof layer or something like that, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it is, I think one of the things that, you know, you hear people say in hunting a lot is, you know, your fingers and toes get cold or, or whatever, but that's not going to make you the kind of cold that you, I mean, that might be uncomfortable. It might not be like comforting to have cold feet and cold fingers and it may drive you to want to just get out of the stand and warm up but it's not going to make you that kind of cold where you just you've got to go you know mm-hmm. it's it's an uncomfortable thing where you just got to make a decision to tough it out if your core gets chilled <clears throat> you're not going to be able to stand up and draw a bow and shoot you know yep. you, you're gonna you're just you're just done for so anyway my, um, my feet get cold i could walk out to the stand and flip flops with no socks on and my feet will get cold because they sweat uncontrollably yeah yeah my, i've always had cold feet i don't i i think i, I think i have this is my self diet webmd self-diagnosis uh issue <laughs> but uh i think i have poor blood flow poor circulation in my feet i think anyway we've all been there it's early you're rubbing your eyes drinking your coffee just trying to wake up making that drive to your favorite tree stand, and out of nowhere, a big doe just has to center your passenger side door. The first thought out of your mind, after a few choice words, is let me call my insurance agent. Let Jake Slocum be that call. With five-star claim service and a friendly staff by your side, whether it's auto, home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum at American National has you covered. Call or text 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. Whether it's your hunting truck, the side-by-side you're pulling behind your truck, your home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum has you covered. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. So I mentioned, so we're, we're at camp in Kansas, Colin and I. And uh, we're watching the World Series, and Colin's a big Astros fan, and he's sweating bullets right now because the Phillies got a runner on second. And so if you hear a, a burst, it, it might just be Colin, something going on in the game. Um, but um, we were talking about doing another tier list on this episode. Levi, you don't know anything about this, so buckle up, buttercup. Um, we Colin's dad is a, a, a big-time recreational chef let's call it that like he loves to cook wild game and everything so he cooked us a bunch of food we brought up here an ice chest so we would have some meals and that got us thinking so we're gonna do tier list of best hunting camp meals tier list of best hunting camp meals so since i just sprung this on you levi colin and i are gonna go first and you can think about it Okay, that was about to say. I thought you were going to make me go first. <laughs> you can think about it. They can't be honey buns. So it's not going to be. I'm, not Colin, be honey yeah, I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready. Go ahead, Colin. Um, to kick it off, my tier three is just gumbo. It's usually it's it might not be cold, but at least it's cooler. So gumbo is my tier three. Hold on a second, Levi. Hey, you're live on the air. Hey, buddy. 
what street do I turn on and go back to the camp? <laughs> uh, I think it's called C. Okay, I, I pass it up. That's, I went one street too far past. So you're on the podcast. You're on the you're on the podcast. Just so you know, I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> uh, hey, we're back live with you, Levi. What are y'all laughing at? <laughs> I forgot. Lost trying to find the camp. He went to Walmart. That that stay on the podcast, by the way. Um, but yeah, gu- gumbo is my tier three. I don't, tier I don't th- okay. think you can really argue with that. Mm-mm. I mean, as long as you got so here's my thing about about that. It's probably gonna be the case with a lot of these. As long as you got somebody that can cook, when it comes to something like gumbo and a lot of other things, as long as it's somebody that can cook it good and is willing to do it, then great. I'm like, I. There's a lot of time at the camp where I just don't feel like doing that much work, you know. But, I mean, I do like it. So, all right, my tier three is deer burgers because it's easy and there's just, I just love homemade burgers. So, deer burgers is my tier three. All right, Levi, you've had a minute. Um, Probably probably just fried fish we fry fish a lot so here's my problem with fried fish fried anything definitely definitely perch hey i like fried fish i don't have a problem with the food but here's my problem with the hunting camp is whenever you fry big it's the whole camp and everything smells like fried food yeah and I'm, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just sensitive. Well, even if you bring a big platter of freshly fried food, yeah, into the, everything smells, every, it's, it's, a, it's a certain smell. It's not a bad smell. It's just a strong smell. And then I, I can't tell you how many times, even out on the porch at a camp where we've watched a ball game fried or whatever. And the next day I'm in the stand and I can still smell it on me, on my, yeah. on anything that was anywhere around. I don't even like frying food in my house because my whole house smells like fried food for like 24 hours. Yeah. I don't like eating fast food in my truck because my truck smells like french fries. That yeah. That's my only debate to that. I don't have a debate, Leroy. Mm. Fox is weird. He just doesn't mm. like fried fish. No, I like fried fish. I just don't like <laughs> smelling like fried fish. All right. Tier two, Colin. Tier two. Deer... And sausage, like potato, carrot stew. It's like a it's nice like a stew. Uh, just a nice yeah. stew. Rice and gravy, kind of, you know, deer meat and yeah, potatoes. And like a, almost like a pot roast. Yeah, stew. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm down with that because that's one of those things you can like throw it all together in a crock pot and let it cook all day while you go hunting the afternoon yep. and come back, Soon make up some rice, that. and boom. Yep. Yeah, I'm good yep. with that. All right. Um, Tier two for me. I'm going to have to go with steaks. There's yeah. a, a steak is better in a camp. And I, I love steak. Steak's good all the time. But, like, when you go, like, I don't know how y'all are, but I tend to buy better cuts of meat when I'm going to the camp. Yes. Like, I'll pick up just whatever for to cook at the house. You know, from time to time, we're doing like a big family. I might kind of splurge, but like I'm going out of the camp, I'm I'm getting a like a real big premium type of cut of meat. Yeah, because steaks are just better at the camp. 
I mean, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I, I 100% eat better food at the camp than I do at my Yeah, house. so let me say this, and I got this from my buddy Tyson at Harris Outfitters in, in, in Missouri. Just about every time I go up there at some point, he does steak and crab legs. And that's a lot. That's a pretty big meal for a camp. But it's really not, though. I mean, if you can find the crab, then what are you doing, Levi? God, I'm not doing anything. My wife, my wife is back there tearing the kitchen apart, I think. Mm. If you can find the crab, it's really not hard. I mean, you just stick it in the pot and boil it. Melt some butter. But I'm going to go steak and, steak and crab legs in honor of my annual meal at Harris Outfitters. All right. Levi, tier two. Oh, God, this is tough. Because I've got a killer steak recipe, and I love steak. How do you recipe but a steak? You just cooked some of a bitch. I've got... You're not one of those guys that marinates steaks, are you? No, in Worcestershire. That's all I really do to it. Nothing special. But I make like a base for them, and they, it's... Okay. I'll get y'all's opinion on it. If, when y'all come up and hunt one right. weekend, okay. But, uh, I mean, I will not turn down a steak. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna like it. I'm I'm pretty I'm kind of torn between on tier two steak or you I've can't got a really pick good. Steak. I just did steak. You got to pick something. Else. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna go with uh, tier two for homemade deer burgers because I've got a really good burger recipe that I really like with bacon burger. It's amazing. She got all these secret recipes, huh? Mm, that I'll cook both of them and let y'all be be the judge. Okay. Y'all are gonna be eating y'all's words. So okay. you're like you're not one of them guys that fixes up those steaks, are you? I'm down. You think a steakhouse fixes up their steaks? Um I don't really know, honestly. I don't really eat steak a whole whole lot out at restaurants because I definitely prefer my own over steakhouse. Mm. Okay. Alright. So. Alright, tier one, Colin. Born in the swamps of South Louisiana, Buzzard Roost Saddles fits the need for a more efficient means for trekking the swamps and hunting elevated. What began as a scrappy saddle made of sit and drag and paracord has evolved into one of the most innovative and quality saddles on the market today. Buzzard Roost Saddles is a small company located in Santa Maria, Louisiana, catering to those scrappy guys that go the extra mile. Whether it's packing out a rugged country or push-poling a P-Road through muddy swamps, Buzzard Roost Saddles are designed with quality and comfort in mind for hunters looking to get elevated and hunt mobile. For a quality hunting saddle made right here in Louisiana, shop online at buzzardroostsaddles.com. Fried backstrap and french fries. And I don't, I don't think there's any way around that. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you said about the fries. No, and that'd be my only thing. But no, you can't. Yeah, I no, mean, you can't beat. Fried, you were talking about it earlier. Yeah, no, you can't beat fried backstrap. <laughs> about schwacking a dough. Yeah, you can't beat fried backstrap. I agree. All right, tier one. What you got? So I used to hunt in a camp for a long time after college and until my kids got a little older and life got a little busier and stuff. I hunted this camp and we always had Sunday spaghetti. So, but in fairness, 
This wasn't just any old thrown together spaghetti. This was an elaborate, deer elaborate deer spaghetti. Oh, like we donated ground meat, everybody at the camp to keep plenty of ground meat because we made Sunday spaghetti like almost every weekend. And if it's done right with real good, really good ground meat, deer meat, like that's a good hearty meal that's not hard to fix. And let me tell you what I do that makes it different. And everybody's gonna, you're, everybody's gonna be like, "What are you talking about?" You have to cut up fresh onion, and you have to get the hamburger dill pickle chips, and put it on top of your spaghetti. I'm out on the uh, no. dill pickle chips. Do you eat pickle like that? Like, like, like Lay's dill pickle chips? No, like the oh, like pickles, like, like a like, hamburger pickle. Yeah, hamburger dill chip, like like the little medallion pickles that you put on a burger. You put that. I don't eat pickles, and I don't, I don't eat anything that has anything to do with cucumber. I'm out. I well, love pickles, and I don't. I don't. Dude, I, you're doing it. <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling you. Right. So there was a restaurant. Yeah. Oh, there man. was. There used to be a. I don't think it's there anymore. But there used to be a restaurant in Joplin, Missouri, called Spaghetti Reds, and that was their thing. Like the, all they served was spaghetti. Period. You went in and you sat down at a a, a seat, and they served you all you can eat spaghetti. You paid one price. That's the only thing on the menu. But they had these little bowls of fresh pickles and fresh onion, and you put it on top of your spaghetti. And I'm telling you, I, you're looking at me funny, but I'm telling you, dill pickle chips is it, it is the it is. I know it's a strange deal, but it is the best flavor profile in spaghetti sauce that is you can't even imagine how good it is. I don't think spaghetti is good enough for that to be the only thing you offer at a restaurant, and you just stay in business. It's a. It was like a historic restaurant at the, the tornado in joplin years ago toward up i think mm. but it was it was a famous place that's where i got it from but that's i eat my whole family does it now questionable tier one my wife is a borderline picky eater and she started doing it too because it's so damn good just saying mm. i'll try anything well once. i'll just take your i'll take your word for it but i don't I like mean, if, pickles if at you all. don't eat pickles then I, if, if you don't eat pickles <laughs> like i get it if you don't eat pickles. But if you like pickles, but you just think there's no way that's going to be good, I'm just telling you you're wrong. It is great. <laughs> All right, Levi, tier one. Oh, I do like fried backstra Or I actually, I think it is a crime against humanity to fry backstrap. I'll eat it. <laughs> there's always that guy. Yeah. Backstraps are made to be brined for about 24 hours and then smoked or cooked on a grill to about 125 degrees. That's, that's how backstraps should be. That's just not a factual statement. I agree no. with you, Levi, that that is a fantastic way to eat backstrap, and it is super good. But you can't discount it's not the how good it is way. to shoot a freaking dough, cut the backstraps out, slice you up some medallions, and pan fry it with some with some flour, salt, and pepper, and some ketchup. I, like, it's just... I, I, I do. I, I like it. I just think it's a crime cutting up backstrap. <laughs> I think I think you're insane for cutting backstrap up and frying it. Call me insane. What's your tier one? That's maybe? insane. No, it's not. Brian, Brian backstrap. Brian back it, I don't really do it often just because it's so much work because, you know, you got to... Make your brine, boil it, 
let it cool, then put your meat in, put it in the refrigerator for a day and all that. It's kind of a pain making, but that's that's like probably my number one favorite meal on this planet, probably. I don't disagree with you at all, like in the quality of what you're talking about, but but it's not to the point that I can't cut it up and fry it. I mean, I, mean I can do both. If it's that good, but you said it's a pain to make, you're just you're, you're arguing against your, yourself. You're doing yourself a disservice. I mean, it's so well, it hard. It's a pain to make. So hard it, to make, so you don't make it. Literally, it literally takes a whole day. It does. day's process to make it. I did one but not long is, ago, and it was in, in my new smoker, and it was really it, good. But it is a pain. It's better. It's better than probably. I've eaten at some decent steakhouses, and it's better than any fillet that I've ever had at a steakhouse ever. Well, that's your problem. I love it. You're getting a fillet <laughs> and not a ribeye. Oh, I'm actually, I'm actually a ribeye guy. That's normally what I get. But like at some, we got a restaurant in Bozier that's kind of known for their fillets, and me and my wife go there on our anniversary, and it's. It's a really, really, really good steakhouse. So the next time I come to your camp, I'm getting your specialty steaks. And your specialty burger. I'm getting your specialty bacon burger, and then you're going to brine and cook me a backstrap. That's going to be my three (laughs) meals while I'm there? Yeah, you got to bring... You got to bring all the stuff to do it. I'm going to send you to Walmart with a list, and you got to buy it all. That's fine. That's fair. (laughs) No, I'll I'll cook it. We'll... What to do it over Christmas break when I'm off work, but yeah, I'll definitely do it. I've got I'll, a. I'll, I will let everybody know that I want to let everybody know that I'll report back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> will. this happens, <laughs> I'll report back. Hopper just mm-hmm. walked in because he's been in Walmart and he's not said anything, but he's holding his hands up in the bullwinkle moose <laughs> position. <laughs> did you see you? a big? Did you see a big deer? Hopper's here hunting with us. Oh. He says it was a freaking giant. Where was it? On our property? At the, At the pond? pond? Going this way or this way? Um, was it like that scrape you saw the other day? 12 points? Hmm. So, damn. There's a pond up there that, that where Flip killed the doe. I don't know if I told that on the podcast. Did I tell that on the podcast? You talked about him killing it, and I don't know if he's talked about a pond. Yeah. Interesting. Dang. Well, we just put the camera down there. We should have put it up there. So, I had this idea, Levi. You're a good guest. You're not a guest, but you're you're a good, good to have on for this. I had this. I've been like, since we're here, and we're supposed to be hunting the rut, but it feels like we're hunting the first week of the season. Like, we're trying to, like, we got cameras, cell cameras running everywhere, and we're trying to like kind of hone in on when the rut's going to kick off. I mean, it's gonna they're going to start doing a little bit. Hop saw a deer, uh, kind of messing with those this afternoon. But so there's like tons of misconceptions about the rut. You agree, Levi? Yes, it like, depends on where you're hunting, but yes, there's a lot of misconceptions about so the thought, rut. Like about having a conversation about like what are some of the most common misconceptions that you hear about the rut where people, you know, just like the, the, the common thing you see posted on a message board or in a, in a camp conversation where somebody's talking and you're like, that's not right. But everybody says it. Can you think of something off the top of your head? Not really. 
I mean, there's all kind of, it just, I mean, it's so, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, stuff you read or people may be hunting up in the Midwest or in the South or, or yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. You know? I think some people might have a misconception because they haven't seen like a true, like crazy rut out here. Yeah. And you have. Maybe that's why they maybe that's why they mistake it. I see it at our place every year. Well, I mean, we've got a insane rut just about every year on our place. Snort weeding, grunting all the time. Everybody along the river does the river, and that's that's kind of part. Like, why is it your place? Why is it be Kansas, Levi? Well, (laughs) everybody up and down the river. Like, I mean, whether it's a really good place that that's well managed and all like y'all's place or even i hunted in a place along the river for a long the same place we ate sunday spaghetti by the way and it i mean it wasn't at all managed that well it was kind of it wasn't managed at all it was way too many four-wheelers and way too much hunting pressure but there was a absolutely a rut every year and you could go five miles down the road on the other side of the highway in the hills and it ain't the same why 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 is the Mississippi River bottom a visible, defined rut with the kind of rut activity that that you see in the Midwest, and you go five to ten miles down the road and you don't see it, or you see it in very small windows? I don't know. That's I don't know. It's kind of like our place, our rut. The past probably I'm gonna say the past five to ten years probably definitely five years maybe a few more years longer than that but we've really shot our doe numbers back so there is like it is intense competition amongst the bucks on our place i mean i've i've seen i've seen six or seven bucks dog in one doe and when you're seeing that you're in there are special circumstances i understand that but um, if you're seeing, like, just say on multiple parts of your property, if you're seeing, you know, multiple bucks chasing a single doe that it's, and I'm not a biologist, but it's kind of a good indicator that your buck to doe ratio is, is decent. It's not, you don't have, you know, 20 does to two bucks on your property and, that's where I think a lot of people miss out on very good rut activity is they may not shoot their does and they may kind of wonder why, like, well, the rut's here. I know the deer breed, you know, into November or, you know, second week in December or whatever, but I just don't see them. And, you know, there may be, you know, your buck to doe ratio may be 10 to 10 to 1, 20 to 1, whatever it is. And, the bucks don't have to move. I mean, they know where those does typically like to hang out at, and they just go way up in a 20-acre thicket, and they don't have to move. Don't so, have to There's no competition or anything like that. I, so. I, I agree with you. My question would be, Does that is that an answer or a – is that kind of a, an answer to – you know, you, you, there's certain places where people claim that the deer rut multiple times throughout the season. Do they really? 
or is it just a matter of deer herd? And they're just seeing it come and go circumstantially. Because I don't think, like, I've heard on many occasions people talk about, like, man, I, I, you know, they'll rut for a week, and then they'll start rutting again next month, and then they'll start rutting again the next month. It's like, I don't think that they do that. I, I don't I don't think that they do that. I mean, I know that's what you're, that visually that's what you're seeing that, that makes you think that, but I don't think biologically that's how it works. So could it just be a matter of you got way too many does and not enough bucks and it just drags on and on and you're just happening to see it in spurts? I don't know about you guys, but whenever deer season rolls around, I almost immediately start dreaming of chasing big bucks in the Midwest during the November rut. There's not a better state to do it than Kansas. 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection. 180 Outdoors offers free-range fair chase Kansas hunting at its finest in one of the best parts of the country, southeastern Kansas. They offer guided and non-guided deer, turkey, and waterfowl hunts. But one of the things they do that's very different is they're also land professionals, and they offer leases on proven farms that produce giant whitetails. So if you've ever wanted to have your own Kansas farm, where you can run your own cameras, do your own scouting, and get the full Midwest whitetail experience. 180's got a number of Kansas farms listed on their website right now at hunt180.com, or you can give them a call and find out what else they make and hook you up with at 620-325-4093. Guided, non-guided, lodging, whitetail, deer, turkey, waterfowl, leases, recreational land purchase, anything you need, 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection. Hunt180.com. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I've always, we really need a biologist to get on to talk about this because I'm not a biologist, but I've always heard, you know, that a doe, when they go into heat, they may be able to breed for about two weeks and then there may go lapse a period of time in there and then they go back into cycle if they're not bred. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not a biologist. I've always heard that. And y'all probably heard that too. But that's what I've heard. And I'm not going to say it's not true. I mean, we we typically on our place, we'll start seeing rut activity probably about the, well, I say rut activity. The bucks really start getting up and kind of moving a lot, probably second week in December. Um. Typically, the third week in December is probably kind of our best week of the year, basically. But second week in December, they get up, they really start to move the older bucks. You know, those young bucks, they'll get up, those suckers will chase. They'll start chasing in in November, second, third week in November, because they don't really know what's going on. But, uh, and we'll see, we'll see to an extent a little bit of rutting activity till the end of the season. Now, that's not to say that there's does that are still coming in at the end of the season, but we we see some chasing and, you know, what seems to be bucks, you know, working scrapes still out kind of looking for does all throughout the, the rest of the year, starting the second week of December, so... But it, but there's a consistency to it, you know. That's yeah. I I think there's a lot of people that see a little two year old buck just being frisky in late October, yeah. and they call it the rut. 
and then they no, actually yeah, see a yeah. they see they see a deer actually around Thanksgiving, and they're like, "Well, that shit, they're rutting again." And then December, <laughs> oh, they're rutting again, and they're like, "No, they're yeah, they're yeah. not. They never really either. They never really were, or they, or, or your deer herd situation is such that there's just a very unvisible yep. long breeding period. I think it's definitely longer here than it is in the Midwest. I mean, you saw that picture I showed you yesterday or two days ago. I have, I just got a picture of a spotted fawn that is little, little. And which means that's, that doe is, you know, being bred in like late February, early March. Yeah. And our our rut is visibly like right at New Year's. Well, there's... I've seen a, uh, I've had a picture of a small spotted fawn in December before over there on our place. Yeah. Well, there, there's a, um, I'm talking about end of December too. I, there's a, um, there's, there, I don't know where I, where, where I learned this podcast or something, but there is a thing where does will come back into heat. Yeah, I've heard later that. on like if they 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 have their normal cycle in late november december whatever or even if they're in an area where their normal cycle is new year's time and for whatever happens they don't get pregnant or they lose the pregnancy they'll come back in and so how much of that is it is it i i'm kind of a believer that you know not global warming you know type of conspiracy thing but I mean, I think our seasons have moved back a month. Like, our and I don't mean our hunting. I mean, well, I do mean that. I mean everything that. I mean our weather, our seasons of weather. I mean, uh, this year we've had a pretty good October, but for it seems to me like compared to when I was a kid, you know, it's colder in March and it's warmer in October. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, than it than it used to be, and it's one, like one. Go ahead. No, it's just like it's like everything seems to have shifted a month. Yeah. Well, one thing that's, I guess, kind of unique to our place too is we're right there by the river and somewhat close to Davis Island. And one thing that's bad, and I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but if the river gets ever up, if it ever gets up real high during deer season, it'll push all the deer off of Davis Island on our property and well not all the deer come off Davis Island on our property because Davis Island's huge but all the a lot of them yeah yeah and lord knows you know what the breeding situation's like over there so you know you get a huge influx of deer and yeah I mean when is the rut then you know I mean who knows the river, the river affects so many things, you yep. know, in in the eastern part of the state. I mean, it, it it is a drive because you also think about like what you just said, but just just this general idea. Uh, aside from, I mean, not really aside from what you said, but but, but kind of like the general idea that you you cram that many deer that time of the year all up together, and they're mixed up with local deer and deer that have been pushed by the flood, and now you got your buck go ratio has just changed overnight and God knows what you're doing to the biology at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, and that's happening all up and down the river. Mm-hmm. So, yep. 
Mm. It's uh, and I've always me and uh our neighbor behind us have talked about it before that you know over the past several years that the river has flooded almost every year and the way evolution works is you know do the does or the deer breeding to not have compensate their, to, for the river flooding to so I've heard they that. have their I've heard that my whole so life. they have their fawns bred at the right time where the fawns can get big enough to swim back across. I've so, heard I grew up in Natchez on on the river and have yep. hunted around the river and with people that have hunted around the river their whole life. And I've heard yep. my whole life that the reason the deer rut the first week of January along the river and they rut the second week of December 10 miles down the road across the other side of 61 is because the deer in the river, the river bottoms are evolved because of spring flooding and late winter yep. flooding to their, their, their breeding and their, their fawns. It's all about breeding and, and stress on the pregnancy and, and, and the age, age, like you said, the aging of the fawns to get away from the water. And, and I mean, all of those factors that, that that's what it's all about. I mean, I don't, that's, yep. that's just, I think that's just what people have surmised over the years, more so than biology, but I think that's, you know, that's everybody well, believes that to an extent. It it makes perfect sense, and I'm I'm a believer in it. I, I've I've just seen it over there for too long to not believe it. It makes it just makes too much sense. All so. right. So one other thing I wanted to bring up on this podcast that is kind of a topic. This this is just a camp talk podcast. We're just talking while Hopper makes noise in the background. Because we're at the camp, <laughs> Gene's and, and Levi's wife. Um, everybody blames every damn thing on the hogs. Everything is blamed on the hogs. And I'm not saying that a lot of things aren't the hogs' fault, but exactly like I, I wish there was a way to to really categorize and, and, and really define exactly what is it and how much of it is just our frustration because, and, and here's where I'm coming from with this. I grew up basically, for the most part of at least my, um, maybe not as a, a young kid, but as a teenager in college and young adult years, hunting on the river where there have been an absolute inundated with hogs since the 70s or something the story goes somebody brought hogs way back then for sport and before people in the hills and in other parts of the south had the hog problems they have now we always had hogs i mean we killed 60 70 of them a year without even trying just because you shot them when you were deer hunting they were everywhere and our deer hunting was still really good all the time the rut was always predictable and it was always good even though the hogs were destroying the persimmons and acorns, you could still hunt over them and kill deer. It, they, I mean, would they just coexisted? I mean, I, I, they were a nuisance, and they were a pain in the ass, and they would run your deer off sometime and all that kind of stuff. But, but nevertheless, they more or less coexisted. Nowadays, it's, it seems like people blame every problem they have on hogs. How much are they really affecting? You can go first, yeah. Levi. I have strong opinion. My, well, people, scenario. and I don't, we don't have hogs on our place. We have an inordinate amount of bears, but, I mean, if you've 
y'all know the definition of insanity. <laughs> Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. But you know, if you if you keep coming up with hog problems, and to an extent, you know, if I guess there are people listening probably to this podcast that it's the, the hog situation may be worse than I can ever imagine. But if you are, yes, it can. You, you, <laughs> I can tell you, you that you've it got can. To, you've got to change your tactic. You've got to do something different. You can't you can't sit there and go, all right, just say you've got a just say you got a feeder up, for instance, or you put corn out or whatever at a particular spot and you go in there and there's hogs in there every time you go in there and you know, change it up. Don't hunt over the same stand. If the hogs are there every day when you go put out corn, they're probably coming back. So People get so complacent during hunting season and don't try to adjust or change anything. I think I I agree. And being adaptable to to what time of year it is, where you think you need to be, you know, whatever you you've always got to change, and that's it's kind of weird, but that's one reason why I always I love hunting being able to move around and be mobile even on private land well, I, that I hunt 90% of the time. So. What, I, what I think of, like kind of hearing you say what you said, and this is, it kind of does play into a little bit about kind of where I was leading this this conversation is, you know, you, 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 you have the person that, let's just say they've had a couple hundred acres of family land somewhere, in the state for a long time and and they've had their food plots and their feeders and they've had their stands set up in those places and it's just been what it's been and that's how they've hunted for years and years and then all of a sudden the hogs move in and they're still going and sitting over those same bait sites those same feeders those same food plots and their opinion becomes the hogs are are ruining the deer hunting or the hogs are running the deer off well i don't think that's true but you can't keep hunting where you're feeding the hogs and expect everything to be the same yeah like the deer aren't leaving because the hogs are there the deer are changing possibly because the hogs are there and if you're not willing to change with them and figure it out then you're just going to be frustrated i'm not saying that you shouldn't be frustrated by hogs i mean obviously it's frustrating but um if you feed them, they're going to come. And if they come and they stay, they're going to move in. And it's just like it's just like inner city America. You know, whoa, when the whoa, neighborhood whoa. gets bad, the good people move out. Right? Yep. You know, yep. and the deer are doing the same thing with the hogs, and you got to figure out how to adapt to it a little bit, you know. Yep. And unfortunately for some people, you know, some people don't have that luxury, you know. They may be on a lease, and it may be three or four hundred acres, and that's you would. If it was me on that size of property, three or four hundred acres, and you know you're on a lease, and everybody baits, and okay, we're covered up with hogs. I probably would one hundred percent go hunt public land or do something like that, rather than if unless you just love shooting hogs. But uh, yeah, if you want to go chase deer, you. 
you know, some people and some people can't do it. You know, they you know they may hunt a small piece of property, and you know, their friends or family or whatever hunts that particular way, and they're just kind of stuck. I mean, it happens. I know that I'm probably speaking for a large portion of people in the state that hunt, but like Colin, if if I if <laughs> I dealt with that, I would 100 percent not be fighting that. I would go hunt public land somewhere and and find deer to hunt and not deal with that. But the the, the only issue with that is that on a lot of the public land around here, mm-hmm. the hogs are horrible on that as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what what are you? I I think. So don't like first. Like of all, you're not just going to go get away from them. So first of all, let me. No, not, you're not going to get away. I don't. From I don't. I don't want to be taken wrong in this. I think the hogs are a problem in that they're a nuisance, and I like everybody else. Wish they would do something about it. But I, th- I, I guess it just comes from my experience of of hunting for so many years where. They were a nuisance, and we didn't want them around. But they were around. But it 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 affected the deer hunting in a in a way of like on a on a given situation, a, a given stand set up, a given day. You know, the hogs can kind of booger up your hunt a little bit. But the deer were still there, and you could still find a way to hunt them. And we still killed a lot of deer. And yeah. it, you know, I I have seen in my I mean, I'm dealing with this on my own property, too. I mean, we got a bunch of hogs, and they're changing the way that I've been managing the place for the last five or six years, and I'm having to try to figure that out. So, I mean, I'm looking in the mirror with some of this, but I've seen people go to such extremes to try to do something that they really aren't really capable of doing, and that's managing the hogs, that they're the ones messing up their own damn deer hunting, messing with the hogs constantly. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just stop feeding them, hunt without corn. Yep. Yep. You know, let the neighbor feed them. They'll go over yep. there, I promise. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> if you stop feeding and your neighbor is feeding, I can assure you that's what hogs are going to be. 100%. I'll see how that works out. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's not that simple. I mean, I'm not trying to make it that simple. I know it's not. Yep. And I know that yep. certain situations, God, that's a terrible swing. <laughs> Just watch the slow mo of this uh of the on the World Series. That's uh, anyway. Um, I know it's not that simple, and I know some people have specific situations that are more challenging than others. But I don't know. I just I, I, I don't know. I, I I just it it just it it's like this with turkeys and stuff too. It's like the hogs are just getting blamed for everything, but yet. You know, with 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 social media and everything as prominent as it is, I don't see anybody lacking for killing deer. We're, people are still killing deer everywhere. You know, yeah. I mean, people are still having. I, I don't think our our success ratio as deer hunters is falling off in any way. So I, I don't I know. I just I'm talking I about the rut. Really. Like I, I'm just waiting on somebody to blame their lack of a rut on hogs. Uh, that's what I'm waiting to happen. That's where that whole this is where the whole thing came from. Is they're <laughs> waiting on somebody to claim that their deer don't rut anymore because of the hogs. 
because it's just yeah. that level of complaining about the hogs all the time. I can't. I complain I can't about really them, but not to that a, extent. <laughs> I can't really have a super strong opinion on it because do I the bears mess with the deer? I mean, and yet, so what do you do with the with how different is the bear situation? Um, we see a lot of bears. I see at least one bear weekend. Um, I had a I had a young boar. I climbed up a tree uh, about two weekends ago for before daylight and uh had a deer underneath me i never saw it it spooked when i pulled my bow up and i had a little young boar <laughs> bear come by me probably about an hour later and that son of a gun was running around playing climbing trees it sounded like i heard a grizzly bear's back there in the woods <laughs> your hunt's pretty much over when you see a bear but uh i mean you just I hope a bear climbs up the tree with Colin next time he comes out there. Nah. <laughs> I want to be dad had one, My dad had one climb up in a tree right beside him one day, 40 foot up in the tree, eating acorns out of the tree. Nah. I had, a, I had yep. a bear run a deer off. The hunting, hogs can't climb trees, so. They have hooves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I will say this, too. I would 100% rather have bears than hogs if you could have a choice because the bears bears are very lazy they're not you know every time you see hogs running around those suckers are just jittery and running around the herd and just kind of running around everywhere a bears just kind of lopes around he'll lay down wherever he's he's not going to chase the deer at all i mean they're an opportunist when it comes to eating. So they don't, I enjoy seeing the bears. They don't bother me at all. There's a lot of people that hate them, but I thought uh, it was the one I saw at your place a couple of years ago. I thought, it was cool, really, I thought it was really cool. They're, they're cool animals. They are. Mm. So, well, I'm not in the, I'm not in the majority of that opinion, but that's, yeah, I, I enjoy seeing them. Um, so, as I mentioned, we're in Kansas, and we'll be here a while trying to kill deer and waiting on the rut, waiting on the weather to get better. And apologize we didn't really have a specific guest topic. This is kind of a camp topic, camp talk episode of the podcast. And I've got, you know, as we're sitting here talking, I've got my phone is just blowing up with pictures because we got cell cameras out running everywhere trying to keep up with what the deer are doing while we're here. And, and uh, you know, Pops coming in telling us about this big deer up in the driveway of the camp and so it's an exciting time. I don't I have no idea what's going on at home, but my a couple cameras that I have out at home actually are actually have some deer showing up as well. So uh I I know are there any parts of the state y'all know of that that has any kind of rut right now? I know we have October rut in way down south Louisiana, like in the marsh, but I think it's pretty everything's pretty pretty much backed up to Thanksgiving at least, huh? I would think so. Uh, I'm not too I familiar with the rut down down south, but other than that. Yeah, I've always heard of that I guess it's in down there, you know, south of Lake Charles, it seems like had a 
has a real early rut down there. They have but, a rut down in the marsh, and it's about the second or third week of October. I've actually hunted it, and it's insane. Like, it's, cool. it, it's, it's, I mean, cause there's no trees out there. I mean, literally sitting in a box stand on a marsh, and there's a shrimp boat behind us. <laughs> and <laughs> people cool. red fishing on the bank right behind us, and there's deer chasing does all through the marsh out in front of us. It was really crazy. But, uh, That's cool. I, what's your i guess kind of wrap up last thing to kind of wrap up on, on 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 just kind of this random talk that we've had here on this podcast this is the time of the year as far as louisiana goes it's it's kind of a, i guess if we have a lull this is a lull you know they had the october lull in the midwest or whatever but this is kind of a lull so for bow hunters where you know you're at that point where there's been enough pressure all around in the woods that the deer are kind of on to it there's not really rut activity going on to to affect movement what's the best tactic right now as you're kind of waiting on the season to change a little bit for there to be a little bit more going on in in the way of pre-rut and stuff like that and the deer are kind of on to it they know that you know the pressure in the woods is heightened i mean what what's the best tactic to make the most of hunting this time of the year mm. Mm. well on our place has really changed over the past two years with us cutting our timber back really hard. And I'll, I'll tell you this, this happened last weekend. Um, I took my little cousin over there hunting with me and I kind of told him, I said, look, these deer this time of year back here where it's, you literally cannot see 10 yards through these thickets and we're, used to be you know just a huge oak flat but uh these deer don't have to get up 15 20 yards to eat this time of year they they can sit out here in these thickets and eat browse and and not move and (laughs) we were on our way to hunt that afternoon and we got to the tree and i showed him what tree to climb up and all that and i'm not kidding you i turned around and looked and 30 yards from the tree that he was going to climb there was a buck bedded on the edge of that thicket right there i didn't really get a good look at him i don't think it was a big deer but just goes to show you and in three seconds he was completely disappeared so i mean if you if you're feeling comfortable you know getting in and around and it's it's kind of my strategy most of the year if you can get around the bedding areas as close as you can possibly get you know the typical answer around people around the state are finding hot feed trees and they can do that over there on our place you know we've got a lot of crp and there is acorn trees everywhere in 500 to 1000 acre blocks there's acorn trees everywhere so you know meandering around out in that crp field for you know six or eight hours a day trying to find the right feed tree and those deer could literally be bedded anywhere um it's not really i wouldn't say that's kind of my favorite thing to do um i typically always try and stay out of my best spots this time of year yep and probably starting about first or second week of December I've got 
you know, four or five spots on our property that are, if you go sit in between these four or five spots every year, I can guarantee you will see a shooter at one of them eventually. If you put the time in, hunt the right wind and not, you know, disturb anything, walking in and out. But yeah, I was going to say the, the best tactic that you can have, you know, for a season long approach right now is to forget the idea that you can't kill them from the couch and don't push the envelope. And if you need doe meat, kill them now and find, go bait them up somewhere where it's not intrusive for you to shoot a doe and get it out of the woods. And don't mm-hmm. try to force something that's not there because it's only going to affect you down the road. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a good chance if you hunt a smaller property or you hunt a heavy pressure, heavily pressured property that your deer are nocturnal and there's not really anything you can do about it. But mess it up even worse and make your better time of the year even harder. Because the deer are going to be off of their less pressured and more predictable summer kind of patterns at this point. They know you're there. You know they're there because you've been taking their picture and feeding them since August or, you know, whatever you do. You know they're there, and you you know you didn't get lucky enough to catch him on that pattern. He's off of it, and you're probably going to do more harm than good by just forcing the issue no matter what. You probably just need to buy your time as best as you can. And try to enjoy hunting, but find alternate ways to enjoy hunting without messing up what your opportunities could be in in the coming months. That's my advice. Colin, you got anything? I mean, pretty much just what I'm I'm seeing where I'm at is that they're still kind of on like that summer. Evenings are better than the mornings. Feeding in the evenings, that's... Pretty much kind of seems to me like what Levi was getting at, but yeah, pretty much it. I'm, I'm a more, I love, I used to be kind of an evening guy, but I've, over the past few years, I've grown to where I, I, I see way more. I do too. I see better deer and more mature deer in the mornings. I do too, but, but, but going back to what I just said, I agree with you, but not this time of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do more harm than yep. good trying to make a morning hunt be something it's not going to be. Yep. You know, it's better to just wait until the mornings are actually better. Mm-hmm. You know, be less intrusive, yep. hunt the afternoons, stuff like that. I agree with you. I see way, I, I mean, I've, I've killed plenty of bucks, plenty of good bucks in the afternoon. And, and early in the season, all the way into this time of the year, I've had a lot more success in the afternoons on feeding pattern deer. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I like when it gets to the point where the deer are on their feet and they're looking for does, they're cruising, they're having to move further for food and all that, and the, the temperatures are colder and there's more north winds, I just I, I feel more confident and I feel like I've had more more this is gonna sound I don't know how to say this and it not sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I feel like my success numbers may not bear it out if you if you counted the number of deer I've shot in the morning versus the evening, but I feel like I've had way more successful hunts for bucks in the mornings. And over the years, just because I haven't always hunted the way I hunt now and 
just different things like that. I may have actually killed more deer in the afternoons overall, but as far as hunting for a big deer and hunting the rut, I've had way more successful hunts in the morning than I have in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it right now. You can't make it be. Yep. You can't make it be what it's not. So anyway, yep. we've we're just we're just rambling at this point. So, uh, um, remind you that well, first of all, say congratulations to Lyndon, and I am going to butcher this last name. Sharier <laughs> <laughs> uh, or Sherrier. Uh, Lyndon Sherrier or Sharier, I'm sorry, I apologize profusely. I do not know how to pronounce your last name. Was the winner of the October gear giveaway, and we're doing the same thing in November. We're going to give away a saddle from Buzzard Roost, and all you got to do to enter is purchase something from Louisiana Bowhunter, and if you purchase multiple things throughout the month, you'll get multiple entries into the drawing. We'll draw from all the orders placed on our website in the month of November, we'll make that drawing on December the 1st and announce that winner, and we'll do that again in December and January. So, reminder about that. Reminder about the film contest coming up at the end of the year. Hope you guys are getting ready for that. Filming, making plans to edit and produce that. and keep. We're, we're continuing to work on getting more and more information out about that. I say more and more. We didn't really put out any information about that, but other than talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're going to put out some information about that. And we got some new... Some new hats uh, we have ordered that should be in any time, sometime this month, but really could be any day now. Hopefully, by the time Colin and I get back, we'll have a, a drop date on that. And um, some pretty cool new designs will be looking for that. And um, you guys got anything else before we wrap it up? Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Need the weather to change here. Yeah, we need the weather to change in Kansas big time. It's it's rough, but we're going to stick it out and see what happens. Thank you for joining us, Levi. Mm-hmm. Go help go help your wife clean the kitchen now. Yep. And she's in bed. I'm about to go get in bed, too. Tired to get up early in the morning. Mm. Hard-working man. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.